Hey everyone, Alex here with a note that I forgot to mention during the opening of the show. Episode 200 is nigh upon us and we really want you, the listeners, to be a part of it. So, we're going to try and schedule some time in the coming weeks to talk with as many of you as we possibly can over Skype or FaceTime or something. So if you want to be put on the schedule, please don't hesitate to email us feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com or hit us up on Twitter at MFN Podcast or on Facebook just whatever way, please get in contact with us. We'd like to have your email so we can send out the schedule and you can fill yourself in when it would work best for you. No matter the time zone, we'll try and make something work out. So please, we really want episode 200 to be about you guys. So please help us make that a reality. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Nick. I'm Willie. Today we've got a little bit of, uh, Nick's got some what we've been watching to talk about. We've got some film news to discuss. And then finally, we're going to end this uh, episode with a discussion of Willie's second keyframes pick. And that is Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys. But before we get to all that, feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com is where you can write to us. Let us know what you think of the show and the things that we talk about. We're also at MFN Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Go to MidwestFilmNerds.com for all, for all previous 195 plus bonus episodes with full show notes so you can uh, skip over the things that you don't want to hear like Spoiler Terry. And then, uh, yeah, Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Shop there. Spend some money. And uh, to no additional cost to you, we will get some of your money and we will make our show network even better. Um, so... Before we get on with the show, there is uh, we've got an important announcement to make today. The Midwest Podcast Network and the Midwest Owners Podcast have been around for the past four years of our lives. And uh, while I think that the show has indeed gotten better in many different respects, including rapport and sound quality and content and, and more, uh, I would like to have seen the show's listenership grow accordingly. But alas, without a celebrity or a major entity involved in the film business to use as a platform, it's kind of difficult for us to get our name out there and to build a larger listenership. Uh, Earlier this year, we launched Gone to Texas and approved to be the most popular show on the network, which tells me that we've got the skills to reach a bigger audience. But the fact of the matter is that film is a terribly terribly large, overcrowded niche, and uh, to be successful in the film podcast genre... You need status in the film industry, celebrity or criticism-wise, and or a lot of money. And even then, you might not make it so, uh, make it big, so to speak. So in the coming years, I and I think we would like to build up a brand that will allow us to have standing in these larger podcast genres in the framework of the Midwest Podcast Network. But in order to do that, we have to hit it bigger in smaller niches. And... Uh, However, to develop shows that do that, we need to utilize our time a little more efficiently. So, I think after episode 200 of the Midwest Film Nerds podcast, we will be on a quote-unquote working hiatus. And yes, that's an oxymoron, but uh, what we mean by that is that we're not going to have new episodes every week, uh, potentially for an indefinite period of time. Uh, We still plan to hit some of the bigger and or more impactful films in the next coming months. Uh, Things like Doctor Strange and Rogue One are ones that we're going to have these discussions regardless of whether or not the podcast happens. So I think we're still going to hit on things like that. But I would say that we're not necessarily planning on doing more than an episode a month, if that. Things might change. We'll see how that evolves. But 
that's kind of where things are at right now. But with this hiatus in effect, we plan to spend time recharging our creative podcasting batteries and uh, spending some time figuring out how to make shows that we really love and that will entertain and enlighten you guys listening and uh, that fit into their own niche in the podcasting world and hopefully find an audi- a bigger audience. So uh, in this time, we might throw pilot episodes of new ideas into the Midwest Film Nerds podcast feed in order to give you a taste of what we're working on and to see if the fans that really enjoy our work currently will join us for new and different kinds of journeys. And this is in no way a definite end for the Midwest Film Nerds podcast, but a signal of potential change, hopefully for the better. I personally hope that one day the Midwest Film Nerds podcast can return in full force with a wider audience brought to the network by our new podcasts. But in summation, the Midwest Film Nerds podcast has been an important part of my life and I think all of our lives. And I think we feel like we can do better and greater things. So we plan on taking some time to figure that out. And we hope that like us, instead of walking away from this decision disappointed, that you are excited to join us in our next step. So uh, with all of that said, our next attempt at a niche podcast is going to be one focusing on HBO's new show Westworld. Produced by J.J. Uh, Abrams and Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. And uh, so that's going to premiere on October 2nd. The show is, I don't know about our podcast, but we'll have more information about that uh, in the coming weeks. And Game Nerds is continuing. Game Nerds is continuing to go. Gone to Texas will be back when that's a thing. Um, and then Tim and I have something within the next few weeks we'll be able to talk about. All right. Yeah. yeah. So... We're we're working on stuff, we promise, and it's not just like a, we're going away. It's a we wanna we wanna be bigger, we wanna be better. Uh, I'd love to quit my job. It's morphin time, right? Yep. Isn't that what the Power Rangers say? Yes. Form of a big podcast. Yeah. That's the Wonder Twins. Oh. Really? They didn't say didn't they say like form of a mastodon? No, they just go pterodactyl. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. Okay. Well, never mind. <laughs> Apparently, it's um, just Kimberly s- to have that voice. <laughs> <laughs> She's been po- smoking a lot of cigs. <laughs> Kimberly now, it today, modern day. She well, she actually like somebody challenged her to put on her old co- uh, costume. Like wh- I think Billy Yost, the Blue Ranger, challenged her at like a fan expo, and she actually did it. She looks smoking. And she she still look good. She's Sweet. beauty. How would Billy yeah. Yost look? Uh, he looks pretty similar. Similar but. to Kimberly. <laughs> no, the, this they they just look like older versions of themselves. That's now. good. Yeah, maybe look at none, cameos. None of them look one. like insanely destroyed by their articles that pop up like in the com above comments and a lot of pages. Say, like you won't believe how bad these ten celebrities. <laughs> those always really bum me yeah. out. Those I usually don't click on because I'm kind of like. And the thumbnails always, always Brendan Fraser. Always. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sad. I know. It's so nasty. Oh, poor Brendan Fraser. There was a there was a thing on Reddit the other day. Brendan Fraser. It was a best name, <laughs> Brendan Fraser. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> well, there was a post on Reddit where somebody was like, it was a best of post, so it was a random comment on somebody's other t- topic, and it was their Brendan Fraser story, and it 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 all culminated in like, yeah, and then my wife and I got a divorce, but I got the Brendan Fraser poster in the, in custody. So huh. I was like, wow, okay. All right, well, small victories. Yeah. He's another one of those ones, like we were talking about, like Jason Patrick, who uh, he kind of was an A-lister for a little while, though. Yeah. He had his moment, but he, it feels like it should have gone on longer. I wonder what yeah. what was the cause of that. Probably George of the Jungle. 
I like I think that was prior to the Mummy movies, though. No, it was probably it was. it was probably uh, the what, what's the one with the Mountie? Oh, oh Dudley Do Right, yeah, Dudley Do Wrong. Let's see when George of the Jungle came out, nineteen ninety seven. I think that might be the same year as the Mummy. No, that's nineteen ninety nine. You're right. Never mind. Yeah, Dudley Do Right would probably was a bad call. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing a, a gamer tag once. It was Dudley do work, and that made me laugh really hard. <laughs> work with an E, right? Probably. I think so. Yeah. Okay. With all that said. Yeah. <laughs> with the, with the Brendan Fraser out of the way, Nick. Yeah. You saw a movie recently. I did. That you want to talk about? I wish Lance was here to help. Yeah. I wish we had a full episode to talk about it. Um, I went and saw one more time with feeling, which I'm so happy that i did and that this is this is the uh this is the nick cave movie that was directed by andrew is directed by is was i guess it was technically directed <laughs> by andrew dominic and it's just really serendipitous that uh we happen to be talking about we talked about hell or high water somehow andrew dominic came up i think as we were talking about like killing them whether softly. or not things when things jump from subtext <laughs> to just two by four <laughs> and andrew dominic came up and lance said what a fallen what a fallen star or yeah. something like that. And so we looked it up. We said, what's he doing? And somebody looked him up and said, oh, he's doing a concert movie with Nick Cave. And I was like, oh, yeah. I kind of jogged my memory. And then I did some reading about it later that day or uh, the next day. And uh, th- they described that the movie was actually pseudo concert movie, pseudo like behind the scenes documentary, largely about him dealing with the death of his son, which is hilarious because I... Th- Lance did not know that happened until the movie was nearly over because they don't directly talk about it till the end. Oh. And then suddenly the whole movie made way more sense to Lance. <laughs> and it's re- it was it was so I wish I had been filming him. Uh, Reaction video. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, it was so funny when he was like, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I thought it came up during the episode. So anyway, the movie is about Nick Cave's son died last year. If anyone who doesn't know if anyone doesn't know who Nick Cave is, this won't be very interesting. But you should educate yourself because he's, yeah, fa- he's fascinating. He's, he's like musical artist screenwriter mm-hmm. multi-talented man extraordinaire yeah he's great and uh he's one of my favorites people and he's really interesting and he, he writes a lot of he writes some fiction he writes a lot of poetry uh i'm not usually down on poetry but some of his stuff is really interesting but his music is phenomenal you probably know red right hand even if you don't know who nick cave is because it's in everything yeah and uh he's just he's such a force creatively and so the movie's about the his son died accidentally last year. Uh, I think he was probably like 16, maybe something like that. And uh, so the movie is, he. I guess he commissioned it, sort of. He kind of approached Andrew Dominic and said, like, I, I want to do this thing about the songs. But he said he didn't talk to the press. He didn't do anything in regard to his son's death. And he said, I kind of want this to represent what I have to say about the matter. So I thought, oh, I have to see this. And then it turns out it came out that week, which was last week. For one last, day only. One night only, which wasn't really true because they did a few more showings. It's actually showing tonight oh. <laughs> at, the, at Cinema Detroit. But anyway, uh, that was the main showing. It was supposed to be one night only around the world uh, to herald the release of his new album, which came out the following day on Friday. So I saw this. I saw it was playing around here, and I thought, oh, I have to go. And so I contacted Lance, who came with me to see Nick Cave live. Also funny because Lance is like, yeah, I'm not, I don't really know his music that well. I don't really, <laughs> but he's come to come to the show with me, came to the movie, and he had a great time both times. But the movie was very interesting. I don't know, I don't know how much people would like it if they didn't like his music that much. But on the other token, I don't like his music that much these days either. Like I like, I like 
like 60% of what he releases on each album. There's usually like, I like more of it than I, than I don't like. Yeah. But his main creative partner now, Warren Ellis, who we know from co-writing all the scores with him, I think since he kind of started collaborating heavily with him, it caused a shift in his music towards something that's a little more freeform and less... less. There's actually a part in the movie when he says, I don't like the old version because it sounded too much like a song. <laughs> and that's when I kind of thought, oh God, what are we in for? Because some of it's just very strange. But some of his songs are amazing. But the movie is really interesting. It's cool to watch these performances unfold. Each song, uh, there, I think there's eight or nine tracks on the album and they show like seven of them. They don't show quite all of them, but almost all of them. And each one, the band is arranged differently in a different setting. And there's some that are really cool. There's one where there's a circle dolly track set up around his piano and the band is on the perimeter. And uh, it's it's really fun to watch. And there's some where the room is like all very cleared and he's in the middle and the band is kind of pushed really far away. There's one where it's just him in the studio. They're all a little bit different. Hmm. And they're they're not... Uh, they're not all back-to-back either. They're woven in between some story, for lack of a better term. Uh, and the movie deals a lot with... It's almost like the music are more like interludes, and the rest of the movie is kind of talking about the nature of how humans deal with with grief, and it's in particular in relation to him with trauma, because he talks about how grief and trauma are very different, and the way we deal with trauma is, is always different because it's unnatural. like it's It's shocking to the system, and you never really fully recover from it. It's very good. Hmm. I think anybody who's ever had a, a real, a major loss in their life, which we pretty much all have, uh, could could watch it and really get something interesting out of it. And obviously, I benefited from a lot because I like his music a lot, and I really like him as the man. I know a lot about him, so seeing him, he's very, he looks very tired most of the movie, and he's not very funny, and he's usually a really funny guy. There's a couple glimmers of it throughout the movie which are so rewarding like seeing it with an audience was great because people were laughing at a lot of parts and people were like kind of cheering at little little moments in that it's very it was a really interesting experience seeing the theater i've never seen like a musical thing in theaters before except for purple rain when we went and saw that and that's quite different yeah. so did uh, you see it at cinema detroit no i saw it at the main art okay and i was surprised how busy it was because yeah. on the one hand I, I left with like 10 minutes to spare and I was like it'll be fine and then on the way I was like oh, why do I underestimate Nick Cave because I know there's <laughs> going to be a lot of people there and I got there and the lobby was like full yeah uh, but it was it was really it left me thinking about it for I'm still thinking about it and I want to see it again and it was shot in 3D which is really funny because there's a lot of times throughout the movie because it's pseudo documentary like people are always calling attention to it yeah there's a really really sweet scene where he's in the recording booth and his wife and his other surviving son. I don't remember if the boys were twins, but if they weren't, they're very, very close in age. They were almost the same age. Uh, his wife and other son are in the recording booth and they're sitting down and they're all just kind of hanging out and they ask him like, so which camera is the 3D one? And you see him point and she points to someone else off camera and he goes, no, that's the videographer shooting the behind the scenes and like the, and they say, that's the 3D one. And at one point they have to stop filming because one of the, one of the cameras, it's a two camera rig. One of them, like the focus motor goes out and <laughs> they do a split screen and you see the one shot just go out of focus and the other one, it's, it's really funny. That's it's just, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And there's, there's some elements to it that I don't want to give away, but I do think everybody should watch it. Right. I think there's something to be gotten out of it for everybody. And the album is 10 times better after seeing the movie because now it feels almost like a soundtrack. Got and I, and I, exactly. And there's a few songs in it that uh, I listen to them now and I can, I can remember how I felt during that moment in the movie because the album always gets more, it almost gets more optimistic as it goes on with the final songs being almost like this resolution and like this kind of catharsis. 
And when that happens in the movie, you feel it. And you, you just the, just from the melodies of the music, you start to understand, like, this is where maybe some healing is taking place. It's really cool, hmm. like, how, how it's arranged. It's great. Awesome. So I, I highly recommend it to anybody who's a, who's a fan or, or uh, might just want to see an interesting movie with how, with how artists, people who are already very emotionally engaged with themselves for the sake of their art, how they might deal with something that's so shocking and so horrifying. Plus, it's good to see Andrew Dominic as we left the theater. I was going to say, how did you feel about Andrew yeah, Dominic? Yeah, he did a good job. Good. I, I said, as we left the theater, I said, oh, he's back in the saddle. And Lance was like, yeah, because not, he, didn't, he took a project that could have been very boring, and he, and he directed it very interestingly. And I won't say much more without spoiling it, but some very very interesting things happen throughout it, like little moments and, and some choices that are made. It's, it's really cool. Hmm. It's just it's really neat. And trying to, trying to create a cohesive story through a lot of Nick Cave's rambling because there's a lot of scenes that uh, they played back the footage they shot for him in like a booth and he just records just like an improvised narration over it and it's really funny. Some of it's really <laughs> hilarious and some of it's a little too like metaphysical and like doesn't make yeah. sense. It's just him like rambling and it's it's fun. Interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really cool project. It's, it's very original. Very cool. And then you had a piece of news that you wanted to bring up. Yeah, I had no idea this was happening, but Luther is coming back for a fourth season. Yeah. I just saw this, I think today. That's And um, when was the last season put out? I mean, it, came, it, it came on Netflix like a year or two ago, probably two years ago. So it must have aired on the BBC in like 2013, maybe. Yeah, so season three, 2013. Yeah. And, yeah so. and and the way season three ends and, and you know, they were interviewing Idris Elba about it. I was doing did a bunch of reading on Luther after I got done watching all of it and he was like, Yeah, I don't know if we're gonna do any more. We might not. We don't, we don't need to. And mm-hmm. now that there is a fourth season, I'm re- I'm one part really excited, on the other hand, a little scared because Skeptical. the first three seasons are so perfect. But we'll see. I, I may not even be able to see it until you know, yeah, a year from knows? now. So who knows? All right. But anyway, that's super exciting. If anybody's looking for anything new to watch on Netflix, watch Luther, please. It's perfect. And it's short. Each season is really short. And it's the, like the defining Idris Elba performance. It's so good. Awesome. All right. Uh, for other news that I wanted to talk about, there was an article posted on, um, on Slash Film, which was taken from medium.com. Uh, the 30 most polarizing movies of the 21st century. So uh, some people took some data from a website called Taste.io, which is kind of a movie suggestion engine slash rating thing, rating aggregate. Uh, not quite like uh, Rotten Tomatoes, but a little different. You can check it out at Taste.io, as I said. Uh, they took this this uh, data from the website and calculated out a polarization quotient or something of that sort to kind of d- discuss the most polarizing movies made from the year 2000 on. So I'm going to start at number 30. We might go through some of these pretty quickly, but uh, we'll, we'll just kind of stop and talk about the things that we really want to talk about. Um, so number 30, Crank High Voltage. <laughs> <laughs> Neville Dean Taylor joint. Uh I'm not surprised by this. No. no. Yeah, I mean, I I know there's crank if you talk if you were to bring up a crank movie, I'm immediately like, "Oh, there's a movie that a lot of people probably love and a lot of people probably don't love." It's true. Mm-hmm. So I I think that makes sense. Number 29, Jupiter Ascending. I don't see that as polarizing. I still haven't seen it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really see that movie is being polarized I, I don't but. see how no I don't I can see how some people might love it but I would think they're in the very very vocal minority yes and I don't think that counts as polarizing yeah 
Is that uh, how they're calculating it with votes? It's I don't know exactly how they they weren't completely transparent about it. Um, Interesting, because they, like they have a graph at the bottom here that talks about it's stacking this polarization factor is what they is what they called it. Um, okay, but Whatever. yeah, we don't quite have enough info to understand exactly how this list came about. Uh, number twenty eight, Synecdoche, New York. Did you guys ever see that? Uh, I have owned the Blu-ray for yeah. probably five years, and I haven't watched it yet. Uh, yeah, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman, directed by Charlie Kaufman. Yes. Yeah, and um, I think I tried to watch it a couple times, and I was just kind of like, I, I don't have enough focus in me to deal with this movie at the moment, and I just turned it off. But so I could see that being polarizing. I've heard just from my own personal network of friends. I've never heard. I've heard nothing but wonderful things about it. Yeah. I really do want to watch it one day. <laughs> yeah. Maybe when the next format comes out. Yeah. I'll get around to it. Uh, number 27, The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number 26, Napoleon Dynamite. I could see that 100%. You think? It's a generational thing. <sighs> is it, is. it really, though? Yes. I mean, like, I, I could see it as being polarizing. I don't know if I'd call it generational. I think it is. Every single, like, person over the age of over a certain age that i've ever heard review that movie is like oh it's awful <laughs> and then like if you i think when it came out if you were like anywhere from like 30 or under generally you were okay with you, you were like, all you, right. you were accepting yeah. of it I, I i could be wrong but i that's my experience with it i was i wasn't a big fan of it when it came out i was like 14 but you're an old soul yeah, alex that's true i think it's perfect I love Napoleon Dynamite. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I, I would be curious for people to watch it now because that came out in 2004, I think. Yeah. And now that that maybe offbeat, slightly surreal sense of humor is a little more interwoven into the collective consciousness of the world that maybe people would like it more because it's really, I mean, it comes out of nowhere and it's it's really weird. I mean, it is weird. Yeah. I think it's hilarious though. And I think it's so, it's so well done. Sure. <laughs> No, I don't know. I I just it didn't I it didn't work for me. But uh number twenty five is Punch Drunk Love. I could see that for sure. See the polarizing in that. Willie, have you seen it? Um yes. Yeah. I still haven't watched I, it yet. Nick really wants me to watch it. It's coming out on Criterion Blu ray in November, I think. And then we're making it happen. I could see any of his movies being polarizing. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. The PTAs Yeah. Pretty. Any of them. Maybe I'd say Boogie Nights would be the one that wouldn't be all that polarizing. Okay. It's the more more most mainstream film. I think that and There Will Be Blood. I think most people like There Will Be Blood because the central performance is so strong. Sure. I think everybody's a little captivated by it. Yeah. yeah. The rest of them, though, for sure. Magnolia, I think, would be the most polarizing of his, of his movies. But mm. I think Punch Drunk Love is probably the most polarizing. Yeah. I don't know. I think Inherent Vice is pretty polarizing. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number 24 is The Fountain. Uh, Hugh yeah, Jackman vehicle. I see that. You know, I don't know though, because I fell right in the middle on that one. I was like, eh, okay. <laughs> you, you were, you're the daywalker of the fountain. It felt <laughs> sure. <laughs> fountain walker. <laughs> I felt I, I when it was over, I was like, okay, that was I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I think it reached a little too far. It's a Darren Aronofsky film with Hugh Jackman. For those of you that don't uh, don't know, it's a very cerebral, visually stunning movie. And I don't think I've ever finished it. I think I saw like a third of it and was like, this is interesting. And then I didn't, I don't know why I stopped. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then like, and by the time you get to the end, you're just, you'll just kind of, it'll end and you go, oh, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, number 23, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. No, that's not polarizing. Hogwash. Who like? I've never met anybody who likes that movie. Let alone really liked it to yeah. the point where it's polarizing. Yeah. Uh, number 22, Nymphomaniac Volume 2. Not Volume 1. Sure. Volume 1 isn't on this list anywhere. Who cares? Lars von Trier, right? Yep. Yeah. Number 21 is Boyhood. I could see that. I mean, I I could see that. Yeah. yeah. I could actually because I think most men will really like it and most women might not unless they have sons. And in which case they may Yeah, I don't know that you could I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that from a sex standpoint that women wouldn't enjoy it. I I'm not trying to like make a a negative <laughs> statement here, but I think the movie's written from the perspective of a man and it's it's about i mean it's called boyhood it's yeah about, it's about being and, a boy yeah so clearly it's gonna play to that but i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say like if you looked at that polarizing chart it'd be it'd be of the people who see the movie and i'm sure that that's probably it might be skewed i don't know maybe it's not skewed maybe it's split down the middle like the population of being watched by men and women and i don't think that the polarizing line is that it's men on one side and women on the other yeah, I mean that's probably right. I think a lot of the people I that was a movie that I obviously I loved. I think it was my number one that year, yeah. and I asked everybody about it who saw it because I was really interested. What they would say, and from my network of friends, most of the girls were either like I didn't like it just because, and or they were like it was it was good. Yeah. That's all they said was like it was good. Yeah. It's very plotless too, which I think a lot of people would, would turn a lot of people off. Yeah, I think I think yeah, because just the nature of the type of, of I mean there is no other movie quite like it, but. It's a yeah. There's not a lot of plot going on. It's just about watching him kind of grow. Yeah. So I can I can see why some people like, be turned off by that. Like, well, what's the story? You that's know? true. Number nineteen, Paranormal Activity. I can see that. I don't really see it as parent. I know. I, I, I the, the first one. Yeah, the first one. I think a lot of people, a lot of like hardcore horror fans, were turned off by that pretty They're quick. They're just kind of like Ugh, whatever. Found footage is. When people say found footage, there's an instant negative connotation. Yeah, I guess that's I fair. And I mean, that was kind of the second boom of the found footage. Yep. Was when you know, but you got to remember too that a lot of these reviews are probably coming well after the fact, and people look back on Paranormal Activity and probably blame it for a lot of the that's, crap that's coming that's afterwards. That's true too. That's true too. Number eighteen is Under the Skin, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Jonathan Glazer mm. film. I've heard, that, heard that's very polarizing. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it as of yet. But uh, number seventeen, Team America: World Police. <laughs> For obvious reasons, <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's yeah. The guys from South Park make a polarizing movie. What a surprise! Yeah. Uh, number sixteen is Lucy. I don't think that's very polarizing, but I don't know. I didn't see it. Number fifteen is Only God Forgives. <laughs> oh what? <laughs> I you know I wouldn't be surprised if, if there were mov- people out there that like actually enjoyed that movie. I think Tim liked it, right? I think so. I think he said that. What's previously. funny is only only God forgives was like the the bubble burst for like would be indie art scene kids who really champion winning Ruffin. Yeah, because yeah, I, I see tons of comments online of people just like ew, like I I can't even scrape <laughs> anything out of that, which is really funny. Uh, number fourteen is the uh, the Wayne's brother vehicle, white chicks. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I could see some people being very offended by that. Yeah. But not for any real good reason, <laughs> no. probably. Like 2016 offended. <laughs> uh, number 13, The Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Sure. Not surprising. Yeah. Number 12, Borat. Hmm? Did I skip over Bruno? 
Was Bruno, was Bruno on, there? on the list? Yeah, Bruno's number list? twenty. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Between Boyhood and Paranormal <laughs> Activity. Yes, you did. Yeah, there's a there's it looks like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen is on here a few times, but yeah, Borat is number twelve. Uh, number eleven is Sucker Punch. Zack Snyder film. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, number ten is a movie called Dogville. Looks like it's got Naomi Watts. Mm. And Nicole Kidman. Or, excuse me, yeah, Nicole Kidman. And that's Lars von Trier again. Number nine, Birdman. Mm, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a lot of these are big concept films. And I think that concept either works for you or doesn't. Yeah. I, could, I, I don't disagree. Napoleon Dynamite is a massive concept. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty Borat, pretty big deep. concept. It's the middle of Idaho and nothing happens. But even like Borat is the idea of like, okay, we're going to make a documentary Yeah, we're going to trick everybody. Character. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, that's still... Man, do you remember the Borat fiascos at the video store? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, because the copied disc? A, yeah, yeah. That, well, yeah, the, the DVD art just looked like a, looked bur- like like a, a bootleg. Copy, yeah. yeah, and people were bringing them back saying, somebody put a bootleg in here. No, that's that just how it is, really man. Funny. Also, why do you care? <laughs> Number eight is The Assassin. It's a Chinese film. Okay. Hmm. Don't know that one. Uh, number seven is Saw. That's another one that I think post the a lot of these a lot of these feelings after the people, seventh movie yep. people are like that, when that movie came out it was pretty universally people were like wow it's cool yeah, yeah cool. I think that's Saw true. is a good movie that's yeah. interesting the first I, I, Saw is a cool thriller yeah no it is for yeah. sure still is I don't think uh, that's not that's not fair that shouldn't be on there yeah number six Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice for sure. Yeah. I think Man of Steel is more polarizing than Batman versus Superman because I, I think agree. there are more positive feelings towards Man of Steel. Yeah. You know, I would agree with that. I haven't met anybody who loves Batman. That's interesting. Superman. Yeah, I, yeah. I think Man of Steel is the more polarizing film. Yeah. Uh, number five is Spring Breakers. Harmony Korine. A lot of people love that movie. This is true. I think a lot of people hated it too, though. <laughs> I turned it off. <laughs> yeah, they could be on there. Uh, number four, Vision Quest: The Movie, The Tree of Life. Oh, I was like, Vision <laughs> oh, Quest? Oh, oh. With Matthew Modine? No, my Vision Quest. Uh, yeah, The Tree of Life. I get it. I guess. He's naturally going to be a director that's divisive, I feel like. Yeah, just, just Terrence Malick who he is, is definitely Terrence Malick is who he is. It's the same thing with like Lars von Trier. They're totally different directors, but yeah. they're just directors that inherently are going to be divisive when it comes to yeah. your feelings towards them. Like yeah. Kevin Smith. I feel, well, and I feel like a lot of people like Terrence Malick and... Uh, and Lars von Trier have like anti fan bases, mm. you know. People who go after people them. who actively like hate watch oh, sure. yeah. movies. Yeah, we'll watch them anyway just to bitch about it. Yeah, but uh, number three, Suicide Squad. <laughs> it's too new to be on the list. Yeah, I would say the, most of these other examples have been movies that have been out. For yeah, they've a, been a out while. for quite a while, at least a couple years, if not like ten plus years. Well, number two is Ghostbusters twenty sixteen. <laughs> well. <laughs> I'd say it's pretty divisive. But the clear winner, number one, we went from a polarization factor of 1,023 with crank high voltage. Number two, Ghostbusters had 1,210. And number one movie has 1,554. It is The Room. I knew it was going to be The Room. Yeah. <laughs> the uh... The Room's not polarizing. The Room's bad. Everyone knows it's bad. Yeah, but I... Like, I 
there's still some people that are gonna be like like appreciate the film for that fact, and then there's other people that are just like, no, it's just terrible. There are there are the, there's that weird cult mentality with the room when it comes to people who like love the movie, and then there's that anti kind of thing where it's like, no, why would you waste your time watching something that sucks? Yeah. Like, watch a good movie, support a good director. You know what I like? I don't know that I put it. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. It's weird that it's at number one. I think, yeah. but I, I can see it being on there just because of the rabid following it's got, and on the on other end, people that are like, "Why would? Why? Like, there's better things out there to be obsessed with." So, yeah, it feels like a lame answer for number one because you'll, you'll you'll never meet anybody who legitimately thinks the room is a good movie. It's impossible. It's like Plan Nine from Outer Space. It's so bad that it has been elevated into something. More like that you would put into a museum and it's look. Like a go, troll too. Yeah, you'd go look at, but no real quality can be derived from it. Yeah, I really wish they would have been a little more transparent about how they calculated these polarization. Yeah, this was really out. starting to feel like a BuzzFeed list towards the end. Yeah, I apologize. No, okay. the first uh, it was really interesting. To, I really liked the like the bottom twenty. That was really cool. Yeah, like especially movies that have. That have been out for a long... Like, The Fountain is a really interesting one because I think you guys should both finish that. I would really love to hear what you both yeah. have to say. Especially coming from a guy like Aronofsky. Yeah. yeah. No, there's a few clunkers in there, though. The Hobbit? No. That is a weird Who one. Who cares? But, I still haven't seen it. I'm yeah. still, actually, I would be... I would be... I would have expected Return of the King a little bit more because I know a lot of people that hate that movie. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. At least, like... They, there, I don't. There's nobody out there that loves any of the Hobbit movies, is there? I mean, there's there's some, probably people, but, but it's a very small group, I think. Yeah. yeah. The first Hobbit movie is the only one I could see legitimately being like, oh man, that was really cool to see the. I'm surprised like Temple of Doom wasn't on there. That's a divisive it's movie. Pretty polarizing. Um, well, or we got, we got Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Ghostbusters two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or even uh, Return of the Jedi. No, Ghost- Willie. After this year, Ghostbusters two is a masterpiece. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> be another one yeah is ghostbusters 2 really polarizing yeah a lot of people don't like ghostbusters 2 they really don't like it. i don't know if it's so much polarizing but like before this year everybody acknowledged that it was a bad movie that it was like lesser i never thought no, people thought it was a bad, bad movie i don't think it's bad movie I, I never yeah i always liked it quite a bit but i it's one of people i think we likened it on the podcast to ewoks mm-hmm. yeah no i think it was with the the older generation that saw ghostbusters 1 liked it for the fact that it was for adults i yeah. mean in a lot of ways and then ghostbusters 2 is more based on the cartoon yeah so being and, a kid brought up on so the kids loved it yeah the, the adults at the time were like it's like a cartoon yeah yeah uh quick interlude in re- relation to what was being talked about earlier with uh one more time with feeling i found a picture the other day of nick cave sitting on a couch eating a piece of pizza with his two sons and i had it uh, i had it saved in my phone and uh, this is them when they were a little bit younger and uh, I texted it to Lance, and I said, Nick Cave and son's eating pizza. And he replied, rest in peace, Arthur. Someone recently asked me if I wanted kids someday. I said, yes. I can use this picture as a visual for why. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. There's also a great picture of Nick Cave walking his two sons to school. And it's hilarious because he always walks around in, like, a black suit. He's very, like, he looks like an old, old-timey, old like, undertaker. He always yeah. walks around in this kind of outfit. And it's so funny because they're in, like, little prep school outfits. And these little boys with these cute little backpacks. And then he's standing there with his sunglasses on and his big mustache. And it's, it's so funny looking. It's like a character from a Tim Burton movie, like, walking kids to school. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, Nick Cave being a Tim Burton character fits, I think. All right. So, it's time to break into Keyframe Series 2. Season 2. Season 2. 
Series two. I think series. Let's go series. Series two. Let's go British. Uh, we're talking about The Lost like Boys, it. which is one of it's Willie's pick this time yes. around. Uh, the IMDb synopsis, synopsis says, after moving to a new town, two brothers discover that the area is a haven for vampires. The movie stars Jason Patrick, Corey Haim, Diane Weist, Edward Herman, Kiefer Sutherland, Jamie Gertz, Corey Feldman, and many, many more people. Alex Winter and more. Tim Capello, Timmy Capello. Yes. Willie, uh, please give us some context as to your keyframes pick. Um, well, okay, so Lost Boys came out in 87. I was a year old. Okay. So I don't, I didn't see so this movie until... So you saw it in the until, theater. Yeah, I was, I was right there opening night. Um, <laughs> and this is uh, Schumacher's movie after he made St. Elmo's Fire, which was a huge success. Um, and was kind of like a quintessential 80s movie when it came out. And then this one came out and kind of weirdly bumped that one out of the way and it was like, no, this is the 80s. <laughs> um, so if, if Schumacher ever had his finger on the pulse of what was hot, it was then, like that five-year period there. Um, he tried to carry that aesthetic over to Batman too. He did. <laughs> um, we won't talk about that though. <laughs> um, so as I understand it, I'm just going to give you a little history first. Um, Schumacher was approached by Richard Donner who had come across the script or had been working on the script and Donner wanted to direct the film, but was so busy with whatever it was he was working on at the time. Lethal Weapon. Um, yeah. with a lethal Weapon. That he was unable to commit to that, and he wanted Schumacher to do it. Um, Schumacher agreed to do it, but the original script was actually more of a Goonies-type mm. story with little kids. And Schumacher apparently said, this needs to be sexy. And so he, you know... <laughs> this needs to be sexy, comma, let's get teens in there. Yes. Yeah. And this is what happened. <laughs> um, now... One thing I do want to say about before I get into kind of my personal feelings is that this is Lost Boys is a movie that like totally modernized the vampire. I'm not a big vampire fan. I'm a big horror fan. Vampire's always been kind of a subgenre that I'm not nuts about. Yeah. Um, but before this movie, vampires were kind of that old school cape wearing, medallion wearing, romantic, you know, seduce the lady into becoming a creature of the night. It was kind of that there was nothing hip or exciting about vampires. They yeah. were kind of old hat. Um, there were a couple attempts before this. I mean, there's more than a couple attempts, but the two notable ones would be um, George Romero's uh, Martin, which was kind of a, uh, an attempt at modernizing vampires. And then um, two years previous, uh, Tom Holland directed Fright Night, which was another attempt to kind of modernize that, which is one of, including The Lost Boys, one of three of what I consider the holy trinity of vampire films. Hmm. The other being Near Dark, which came out the same year as Lost Boys. All right. Um, Good decade for vampires. Oh, man, those three. Um, but yeah, Fright Night did something interesting because it kind of it, it set the vampires, the classic vampire story in a modern time. Um, and it was like the vampire next door. Mm-hmm. But it, the the portrayal of the vampire by chris Randon, well excellent is still very old school vampire um this is if it wasn't for the lost boys existing we would not have Buffy the vampire's lair yeah it never have happened yep probably wouldn't have twilight which you can be angry or sad about or whatever it doesn't you know yeah um no true blood no honestly a lot of that stuff probably would never have existed yeah um my personal experience with lost boys was seeing it I was probably six years old, five, six years old, uh, maybe a little bit older. Um, <laughs> this this movie, first of all, was I think my first real view of what the 80s looked like because as funny as some of these people look in this movie and as ridiculous as some of the people like behave, that this this 
is a pretty accurate representation of what you know like an area like a Santa Monica would look like in 1987 yeah. and and that's awesome it's like a time capsule mm-hmm. so this is my first real view into the 80s I think as like really not that far removed from it but still far enough because there was a huge jump from the 80s to the 90s in terms of how fast things changed yeah fashion wise and music wise and uh so this was like the my first foray into looking back and going wow like when I was a baby, this is what things were like. <laughs> yeah. Like this is how people acted. And, Interesting. Uh, whether that's right or not, I don't know. But I always look at Lost Boys as kind of a wonderful time capsule. It's a weather vane. Um, yeah, yeah. And my dad was always in hair bands in the '80s and stuff. So yeah. this is kind of like I'm like oh, this. Okay, like my dad could be playing on the boardwalk. <laughs> um, also, this film taught me what sexuality was. I yes. think. Um, and you saw I'm, Tim Capello, and, and I instantly was tra- <laughs> just transfixed. Um, no, so I. The thing is, at that age, you don't fully understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, but I, honest to God, will say, and I'm not trying to be perverted or anything. It's just it's an important part of your your adolescence. Seeing Jamie Gertz walk out, there was something that happened in me where I went, "Whoa, yeah, whoa, what? Who are you? <laughs> you know?" And I think that was one of my first. What crushes. are these feelings? Yeah, what's going on? Yes, um, that was one of my first crushes. I think in. I think probably I could speak for most of us when our, our that our first crushes were people on the screen. Yeah, I know that mine were mine were all my first ones were, and oh, I can yeah. name off quite a few. There were quite a few as I got older that <laughs> I could rattle off. But we should Jamie do a Gertz on that someday. Uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be really fun. fun. Um, Jamie Gertz was I think my first where I was like, oh my god, and you never forget your first. That's so, true. Um, that was an important. I, uh, an important thing to learn through the Lost Boys somehow, um, but I did. I, th- I think Joel Schumacher would be proud. I think he would. Yeah. Sexed yes. up his movie and look what happened. Yes, yeah. And he, uh, his 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 intended target audience for the original you know version of this was treated to something very different. Yes. You think the Tim Capello uh, scene was in the original script? I, did, my did guess I, is there was it, a musician on the boardwalk. They, I they, they based the whole story around that scene. <laughs> I just rippled outward from there. Executive yes. producer Tim Capello. <laughs> Somebody cast Timmy. <laughs> um, but no, this this movie had an important part in my childhood. And beyond that, I mean, this was kind of really my first exposure to vampires in general, too. I mean, I had seen some of the old Universal stuff, some of the old Dracula, black and white Dracula movies, and the Bela Lugosi's and whatnot, but those are always boring to me as a kid. You know, now I have an appreciation for them, but back then it just wasn't, you know, they weren't exciting enough. And if there's one thing the Lost Boys, Lost Boys is, it's exciting. It doesn't really stop. It just goes and goes and goes. Yeah. Um, And this is one of those movies where, if somebody goes, hey, let's watch The Lost Boys, I'll say, okay, yeah, right now, let's do it. I will watch it any day of the week, anytime. <laughs> That's actually pretty much what happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah exactly. Um, I, I probably watch it three or four times a year. Once every few months, it go, it pops in the DVD player. Yeah. Um, I always pick up on little things I didn't pick up on before. I It holds up to me. I mean, for what's funny is, for as ridiculous and as 80s as this movie is, somehow it holds up. Yeah. Because it all feels... It feels it feels legitimate for the time period. It feels it feels like a period piece now, and that's why it still holds up. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's just this is a story that took place in the 80s. Yeah. So, um, love this movie, and and I'm really excited to talk about it and get into more detail about it. And um, yeah, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. All right, Alex, you've seen this once before. Yes. Uh, this is a movie. Um, my brother John from the Midwest Game News podcast, was always into vampires growing up. He liked the Anne Rice novels, Interview with the Vampire, 
Vampire Hunter D, all kinds of vampire lore. And this is one that I think um, he probably was like, hey, mom, do you know of any vampire movies? And she was like, The Lost Boys. And then they sat down and watched it at some point, and it became one of John's favorite movies of all time. And uh, I don't know if that still holds today. We'd have to ask him. But, so hopefully um, he'll listen to this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, uh, so at some point my mom was like, I feel like you're old enough. Let's watch Lost Boys. I don't know when it was. It's I was never one of those kids that really uh, was chomping at the bit to watch rated R movies. It just kind of, and this I don't. This is PG-13. It's rated R. Oh, it is rated R. But you know what though? When, when looking at it now, it's, it's, oh, pretty, it's, a PG-13 it's pretty tame. Yeah. Like it's really not that. Even the yeah. sex scene that's in it is, yeah. 10 seconds of like careless whisper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I was never one of those one of those kids that was like, oh man, I get to I get to watch a radar movie. Or man, I really want to watch this, but it's radar. No, that like never really happened with me. So my mom was just kind of like, well, you know, I was probably thirteen at the time or something, and I was like, let's watch Lost Boys, and and we watched it, and I it was probably around the time that like my mom was liking Twenty Four and Kiefer Sutherland was in it, and it was just kind of like there was that connection there. So. Uh, yeah, I watched it then, and I remember being like, "Oh, that's cool," but vampires have never really been that much of of my thing. But they haven't done it for you. Yeah, they did. I wouldn't say they they did it for me. Uh, but not like Jamie Gertz. Not like Jamie Gertz. But uh, it's it's a like upon watching it the second time around, I think with somebody who really enjoys it very much, I kind of it it makes more sense to me, and and especially because now I'm I've been paying a lot more attention to movies. It's made you know I I can look at things in a little bit more detail and understand like, oh, this is a very well-crafted vampire story. It doesn't get bogged down in the, in the like, I don't know. It, it's not like pretending to be anything better than what it is, but it's also just a very well-put-together vampire story. And, and as you said, it modernizes vampires really well in a way where we only would think of decrepit Bela Lugosi Dracula performances. Uh, so, so watching it again last night and, and I didn't remember any of the twists and turns involved with it and, and it just felt like a very fresh experience to me and, and I, I really liked that. And as you said, like the movie's kind of purposefully dated, like it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel timeless. It feels very much of its time, but for some reason it kind of lives past that. And I think that's a very interesting quality in a movie like this, especially like a movie in the 80s. It doesn't, a lot of the times you look at it and you're like, oh, well, that's not how it is. But you kind of look at the, maybe it's just because of the California thing, like you said. You're like, there's probably people dressed like this in California right now. Sure. Yeah. And well, I think part of it too is is that the story itself is kind of a timeless Thing. Yeah, that's true. There's nothing about the story itself that, you know, it's it's the new kids moving to town. Like it's been told a billion times. Yep. And it really doesn't matter what time period you set it in. It's still you can relate to it. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. But no, it was great, especially seeing uh, Edward Herman as somebody who's been watching a lot of Gilmore Girls as of late. Uh, to see him, it was so weird to me that he didn't have like a gentrified accent every time he was on screen in this in this uh, movie because that's how he is in Gilmore Girls. So that was kind of cool. And you know, Kiefer Sutherland's fro is or not fro his. His mullet, spiky mullet, spiky mullet that he's got going on is is always interesting to get lost in. It's beautiful, but dangly earrings. Yeah, yeah, lots of lots of dangly earrings in this movie. Lots of jewelry. Yes, yes, lots of jingling as yes. vampires walk. 
Yes. You can hear them coming, that's for sure. <laughs> Kiefer sounds like a wind chime. <laughs> they sparkled, but it was for a different reason. <laughs> right, yeah. right. It was motivated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick, what did you think? This is your first full viewing of... It is. You've I, seen the Tim Capello scene countless, countless times. Countless times. <laughs> and I saw the uh, initial uh, Frog Brothers comic book store scene in a class once. Okay. The teacher was showing scenes. And uh, just he, he had weird. He liked horror. He liked Hammer horror movies a lot. So we we got to see some Christopher Lee, cool uh, vampire shit. But anyway, uh, I like it. It did it for me. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> it was good. I I do really like uh, what you said, Alex. That it feels it feels dated but timeless at the same time. Like it's more of a general. It doesn't date itself with like news references or like yeah. or like current events that like people are spouting out like ah can you believe that whatever I can't even think of a reference because I wasn't really cognizant during that time well, but and there's not a bunch of Reagan references right right exactly and then the one that's in Ninja Turtles is really funny so and I guess part of it part of the timelessness of it is that we've kind of gone back through the wave of the geekiness of this movie is in vogue again. So maybe that's some of it too. That's like true. The comic book store and all that stuff is all vampires themselves. It's all kind of still things that are active in the zeitgeist today. Sure. But I think like you were saying, it's more of just a general eighties kind of aesthetic that the movie has. And in a way it's almost like a preemptive love letter in a sort of a way yeah. like it doesn't seem like that was the intent but it kind of comes off that way now like we look back on it and we're like oh boy like this is just so 80s <laughs> in, the, in the best way yeah almost as though it was like aware and like kind of above it all which is just kind of funny but i agree it does feel when you watch it you're instantly like oh like it's just bubbling over with 80s but it's in it's in such a generic way that we just kind of smile yeah 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 that was good it's like when you see a slap bracelet and you just think of the 90s you're like oh man good times <laughs> I liked it. I thought uh, it launched. <laughs> we watched it in the. Per- this is the perfect way for me to see this movie for the first time all the way through because we were just watching it and we were kind of casually talking throughout it where where it felt appropriate because we knew like we weren't going to miss any like hallmark dialogue or anything and we could kind of it's you know it's well made when you can talk and still understand the scenes yep. because it's so it's well directed enough that you can just follow the action visually and the interactions with the characters and. It never comes off as too forced. You've got like a, a band of really good actors, especially in the family in uh, Jason Patrick, Corey Haim, Diane Weist. Uh, watching, you can watch the movie on mute and watch Jason Patrick and, and Corey Haim, like the way they explore the house initially and are like roughhousing with each other. You just instantly get it. You're like, yep. okay, it's good. It's just good nuts and bolts movie making. And somehow that tends to miss people sometimes. Yeah. And that's uh, it's refreshing to see. It feels like one of those movies, although it is, it's a little goofy. And like you talk about the Lost Boys, and most people usually laugh and go, "Yeah, man, Lost Boys is rad." It's just a, it's a well put together movie. Yeah, uh, it did launch the discussion while we were watching it that what happened to Jason Patrick because he probably should have been a bigger star. Enough on that, but <laughs> this did this <laughs> just did, ruminate. This did launch own. Jason Patrick's career, though. I mean, he didn't become the star I think people thought he would be. Well, but and this is the first depiction of the Corys together. This right? is the first first two Corys. They would go on to do four more movies together. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, and I may not be giving these guys quite enough credit, but I, I ex- Jason Patrick seems like he should have been more one of those actors that was more on my radar throughout my my early years, where I would just d- dive so hard in, into movies in general. But uh, Kiefer's the one who kind of came out on top. Yeah. But he had the he had the Don Suth connection, which helps. Uh, the 
The music is all really funny. I'm glad Willie pointed like Willie just was <laughs> constantly commenting on the music. He's like, I love this part. And it was just really good stuff. That's one thing I want to say real quick too that I think help adds to the timelessness of it in terms of the it doesn't feel dated based on references or the soundtrack doesn't feel like corny eighties plug and play. Like this is what was hot on the radio at the time. Yeah. A couple of these songs were written for the movie, obviously. Like Cry Little Sister was written for the movie. Yeah, that helps. Um, which is cool because actually the writers of the song read the script but didn't see a frame of the movie and wrote the song based just on the script which is kind of cool and then um lost in the shadows the dirt bike uh the dirt bike song that's written (laughs) for the movie too so it's cool because a lot of these a lot of these are um i wish it was called that like in parentheses the dirt bike song the dirt bike song um a lot of these were written for the movie or weren't super popular songs at the time i think they were very purposefully selected for what they wanted to portray like the 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 80s that they're portraying it's definitely it's not a as we said previously it's not a let's get whitney houston on the soundtrack so right, there's no like sells bon a million Jovi. songs yeah, yeah it, it's more like what scene kids in the 80s would listen to like yeah. stuff that was a little more off the beaten path. yeah and i like that because yeah. it's stuff that you it's stuff that you wouldn't hear even on like um, like a, a Pandora 80 station yeah. or a, an, a serious. These are deep 80s. cuts. Of They're the deeper. 80s. Yeah, and I like that. You know, that's <laughs> that's good. Even some of the songs that are more well known, like People Are Strange, it's actually a cover. Uh, that's a cover of the Doors song um, yeah. by Echo and the Bunnymen. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, even the Call is covered by by Tim by Capello. T- so it's they they found different variations on the soundtrack. And I don't know if that had anything to do with Schumacher. I don't know how into the music scene he was. But somebody did a good job, I think, picking out. It the might songs. have just been. It could. It could even have been like a budget thing of like we don't have a ton of money to spend on music <laughs> for this. Let's just those happy accidents pick things that yeah. we yeah. So and I think it yeah as you said it kind of largely works. Mm-hmm. So sorry, Nick. God. Uh no, I mean that that's I don't have much, too much more to say without getting into spoilers. I think it's really funny. A lot of the time, it's way. Yeah. I guess I didn't really know what to expect. I think I expected something schlockier. Okay. Because you always hear it just just even the poster and the reputation that it has is that it's kind of goofy. And I watched it. I was like, this isn't really, it's only goofy. If that's kind of your mindset, like there's, there are some moments obviously that are a little crazy, like Corey Hames shirt when he's eating breakfast, that one, that one scene, (laughs) some of it goes a little, a little far, but it's, it's got a lot of stuff that's exciting to kids like us who grew up in that era. And like that, sort of movie was made for a long time afterwards like as it was ramping towards the third act i was like wait 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 is this what we're about to be in for and you were like (laughs) you like just nodded to confirm and i was like oh this is gonna be awesome yeah Yeah. so yeah it's uh it was a lot of fun to watch i'm excited to talk more about it and i really would love to see the original script get made though because it sounded really creepy like the the vampire boy scouts well no just the idea that that peter pan was potentially or probably a vampire was something that i never thought about Mm -hmm. and i was like "Ooh, (laughs) that's really sweet but peter pan's always been a really dark i always think peter pan's dark like there's a creepiness about it absolutely even the disney one well that was like the the original story like something was peter pan would kill the lost boys once they got too old i forget what i like what I don't know if it was like what the original story was or something like that. I what would it was totally kind of believe based that. Off of, but the idea that Peter Pan would would murder the the Lost Boys because they've gotten too old and then go recruit new ones is mm-hmm. kind of so creepy. It's no, got it's some pretty awesome. To it. I've wanted to read the actual original original Peter Pan for years and I haven't, and I really want to because I've always, even when I was a kid, I remember watching the Disney one and being like, "This is something's really fucked up about yeah. this." Like it's just <laughs> really creepy. So as soon as I read that, I was like, "Oh, like so just something." clicked into place for me and i was like peter pan was a vampire 
<laughs> I want to see that. the the choice The choice of the Lost Boys as the title, I think, is a cool choice too. Oh, yeah. for sure. You know, because it obviously it's echoing the the Lost Boys of the Peter Pan story and the idea that you that was stay young. And that was my only fault with the movie. I wish it had explored the notion that being a vampire could be cool a little bit more, mm-hmm. because they don't really. Kiefer and his crew are more like the the bad guy, the Cobras from Karate Kid. Sure. Throughout the whole movie, they're just kind of douchey. They're kind of douchey, and then they. They are kind of like being a vampire is sweet, and he's kind of like, well, I guess spoilers for Lost Boys right now. I, the Lost Boys is like a it's a over twenty year old movie. It's almost it's almost thirty. It's almost thirty years old at this point. Please go watch it if you don't want to be spoiled on it at all. But I think even if I think we, we, I, let me just carry this thought over into spoilers, we can take a break. Uh, okay, we'll talk all right. It. So we'll take a quick break. Willie, is there anything else you want to talk about in in non spoiler? Um. Oh, I wanted to mention. Uh, Box office just as just to it, it was an eight point five million dollar budget so yeah. pretty pretty low I mean even for those standards I think that was pretty low during those you know during the eighty seven uh, the eighties um, and it made thirty two point two so it did really well yeah um, for the studio and it, that, I think that's a nice picture of how um, how much of an impact I think it had yeah 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 and I I guess I did look up. Uh, Monster Squad was 87 as well. It was. So it's kind of like I think there was a burgeoning time for that kind of. And even Monster Squad, the Dracula's in there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's and it's he's the main. It's a Bela Lugosi yeah. type. Dracula, it's definitely yeah. a, an old school depiction of vampires. So yep. if you want, it's interesting that in the same year you get that really modern take and still a very like old know. school. Yeah. But I guess in the world of the Lost Boys, like Dracula could be there somewhere. Totally. In the in the like pantheon of vampires and that that's still like old aspect of it is there but the fact that this movie focuses on like these are vampires that are like of their time i like i I think oftentimes in vampire um fiction in general we see these like old wizened vampires who have been around since the you know since they were wearing victorian era clothing and they're you know they've seen everything and done everything and I think it's kind of refreshing to watch a movie where it's like these guys have probably been vampires for like a year, like maybe shorter. You know what I mean? Like I get you the impression. So? I get the impression. I don't. Uh, I don't get the. I, the only one who seems like he might be a little bit older would be Kiefer. He's the only one that seems like maybe he's been around a little bit longer. But I, the other one seems like such goofballs. Like they've only been like they've been vampires since the eighties, basically. And that's, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's the vibe. Vampires. I get. They just want to party. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it's a it's an interesting thought to kind of yeah. Yeah. parse it out like, like blood yeah. is their cocaine basically <laughs> i think i remember reading in the original uh no nah, maybe not never mind disregard all right we're gonna go into spoiler terry we'll be right back talking about spoilers for the lost boys here we are in spoiler terry for the lost boys Nick, your thought that you were about to carry into yes, spoiler Terry. I'm about to right now. Yes. Uh, the I wish that Kiefer and his crew had been a little more fleshed out in terms of talking about why being a vampire would be would be sweet. Because I think that they there's like all they do is like they show him why they think it's sweet, but they don't convince him or they don't. Yeah, that I I agree. But part of me thinks that like I get like I kind of want to ask John about this of like when you were. 14, 15, or whatever, when you saw this movie, did you think those guys were cool? Yes. You probably did. Yeah. Like, I think I think the allure... Like, we see them as the douchey biker guys right now. 
But I think maybe when we were younger and even no. back in the 80s, it would have been like... I would have 100% oh, watched this as a kid and been like, those guys are idiots. Because they're, <laughs> they're, they're the bad guys from Karate Kid. They're basically that group. And I, it's just in the way... It's just in the way they're written, and that's fine. But I, I wish there had been a little bit more like, look what we can do. Like, and he has lines of it where he's like, "You'll never die," but it's after they've just like killed a gang of people around a campfire, having a good time. Yeah, and it's horrifying. It's that's rough. That's that seems rough. like gross. And he's like, "No," and he's like mid transformation himself, and like it's really cool. That that scene's really sweet. Kiefer bites that dude's head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so gross. so nasty. <laughs> yeah. Must have been fun to shoot. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see the behind the scenes on a lot of that stuff. <laughs> but yeah, they just don't. They don't. They don't really like tell him like why it's cool. Like they just kind of think like he'll think we're cool. Just watch us cavort around and hang from train tracks and shit, and like just party all night. But they don't. I don't know. They just don't. He's too either too stupid or or just like yeah. They don't really try to lure him or they're out. that gross. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I think that if you want to recruit other vampires. You need to actively recruit them and and just kind of be like, hey, like, like I don't know why it. it they they, they just, seem to, they only seem to kind of court him, so to speak, by just like they, they he challenges them to like a dirt bike race or like yeah. they kind of challenge him and he accepts. And so Kiefer kind of sees something in him like, cool, this guy's this he's guy, got the stuff. This guy's got the grit that it takes to be a vampire or whatever. But they should really just find some guy who's just a wild man like drug addict and be like, yeah, he can be a vampire. <laughs> but it, even then, it's not. It's not motivated, really. They don't tell you, like, why he wants more vampires. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, why does he want someone who's going to try to steal Star or someone well, who... Well, they do, actually. Well, yeah. Because it's, it, it's, it's a very brief... There's a bit when... Because they hide... Michael's confronting Star, and yeah. he's and they, they go over the idea that you have to kill somebody to become full vampire. That's part of the rules in this universe. And she meant he says something to her along the lines of, like, why didn't you kill me? So... Oh, it's and not she, handled. She great. says David did, wanted me to. They weren't luring him in to join the gang. They were right. luring him in so she could off him and yeah. become part of the gang. But then why does he offer him the blood? I think that I think part of it is they want. I don't actually know. That's a good question. Why do they offer them blood? Well, like, but like, then, is, is I guess just, that's the other competing thing is that Edward Herman in the end is like, I thought if I got your two boys, then you would join. Right. Me. True. So I guess that. So there's competing ideas here that kind and, of. And my my thought, I, it, you could, I guess I try to like make up reasons in my mind for it, but my thought was always that like David, the the Kiefer character, is kind of rebellious. Like I don't yeah. think he's super nuts about Edward Herman's character. I think he's like. He wants to be the leader. Yeah, it seems like he's the kind of guy who like, and that's the thing. That's where you're absolutely right. Where I think learning a little bit more about Kiefer's character in particular, the other guys, it is what it is. They're goons. That's fine. But learning a bit more about Kiefer in particular, I think would make, I think it would make it more interesting. Even like ten minutes of like just a little bit more dialogue about him. How, how old is? Well, he, this you mo- know? yeah, this movie's so efficient with with how it does establish characters. You don't even need ten minutes. Like yeah. a couple. Yeah, like, might be able to give me like two scenes. Yeah, and, just and, something. Yeah, yeah. Because even like I I was left wondering how old they were. And mm-hmm. you're right. Like Alex Winter and company seem like a bunch of knuckleheads that they just <laughs> that just moved there from like Minnesota that right. year. And they were like, "Yeah, you'll be vampires now." But Kiefer could have been because he was like he seemed to have the handle on you'll never die, you'll never grow old. And either that was his speech recited by Edward Herman or he's been around for who knows. Like, yeah. I, I really, I really love the idea that, you know, a vampire would a really hip. If somebody was had that spirit of like, I want to be youthful forever, that would make a really compelling vampire character. I like the idea that they would keep up with the culture, keep up with the time and exactly. change themselves yep. to fit the time. Plus they would also blend in. Yep. Like if a guy who looked like Bella Lugosi was walking on the boardwalk, you'd be like, Oh, okay, <laughs> that guy's a, that's vampire. a vampire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're out. <laughs> but Kiefer and them, you're like, whatever. They just like to party all night. And 
sleep all day. They seem like just douchey dudes. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I do find it interesting too. I, I always got the vibe that, and this is just me kind of stretching a little bit, but I got the vibe that the other guys didn't even know of Edward Herman's existence. Like I, I always got the vibe that Kiefer was the only one that was entrusted with that. Like that he they were that. that they thought David was the leader of the of the pack the whole time, and that he's the yeah, only one that really cool. knew. Because she almost infers that at the end when she's like, she says something to Edward Herman's character about like, oh, you were the secret he was keeping or whatever. Oh, like, yeah, she does. She, she does didn't that. even know yep. that he was. So I always kind of like that. One thing I want to mention about Edward Herman real quick about Max is that the ending actually was originally not supposed to be a joke with Grandpa and oh, all the damn vampires, which is great. It's a wonderful way to end it, especially mm-hmm. with the Grandpa character being who he is. But um, it originally ended with a shot of like an old like Victorian era painting and it was Max like uh. in the painting. So that would kind of establish that he's been around in for Santa Carla for like ever, basically. So that would that would have been a cool detail. Kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love to see that painting of Edward Herman. <laughs> yes, as yeah. ancient vampire. Find that on eBay. <laughs> Add yeah. that to our list of movie props that we want to yes. acquire. Yeah, and I guess some of the thing about like the modern vampire idea, some of it is like, I I don't know, like, and we were ta- I was talking a little bit about when that visual aesthetic of like. Oh yeah, the, the botoxed forehead, with, forehead. Yeah, yeah. like it, it, when that kind of came about, because it's something that you see in Buffy a lot, and and in a lot of modern vampire stuff. Um, I'm kind of wondering, like, it would be fun for, and I, I'm sure somebody has done this in like a some kind of scholarly article or something. But the the morphing of the the vampire character over time. I'm thinking more about like the glamoring idea, the idea that if vampires can portray to you what you what you want to see, like uh, or or maybe even in the case of this movie when they feed him the food and then they make him see the maggots, they're kind of messing with him in that case. Right. But like the Bella Lugosi vampire thing to me always kind of like like they would hide themselves in the glamour. They would appear to you as like the the Keeper with the with, yeah yeah, but when you actually when when the when that rug gets ripped out from under you, or you see them how they're actually portrayed. They they are still that old decrepit kind of thing. So I think it's kind of, it, I think that's an interesting study in there somewhere. There's somebody's like English thesis in there somewhere. You can take it. And Just run the evolution it. of what vampires the 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 look of a vampire or the yeah, physical representation. Yeah, not even necessarily the look, but I know there's some, uh, I think True Blood always talks about there's certain things that we would that we would tell humans just so that we could show them that we're not actually vampires. The idea that your, your reflection, you won't appear in a mirror, was something that vampires had uh, seeded out to the masses in order to be like, well, I'm clearly not a vampire because I can appear in this mirror. Okay, and like, oh, it's like, like a misdirect, like, like false. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so like, the, I I would love to see somebody taking all of those elements of like these are everything that a vampire could be, and then kind of notch them down and be like, this is how this one used it here. This is the first appearance appearance of this vampire thing, like this vampire trait. I think that would be a really cool. Sounds like another classic Alex spreadsheet project. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a slideshow. Yeah. Um, I do like the uh, I. Do like some of the bending of the rules? I I always like it when vampire movies are able to twist the rules Subvert a little bit your expectations. without doing it to the point of uh, of removing themselves from the vampire genre completely. Yeah. yeah, and and this one is as a couple fun <laughs> things. There's the classic inviting the vampire into your home. Yeah. Now, what I like about this one is you can 
you could like a vampire can break into your house. They clearly do in this in this movie. Like he, they just jump through the furnace, uh, through the fireplace, explode, and, yeah. through, explode the fire- through the fireplace. <laughs> I love that. That visual is so weird. There's always wind machines so behind funny. the vampires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I like the idea that if you don't invite them in, you still have the power over them. Yeah. So you can still use things like holy water or the mirror trick will work. Whereas Edward Herman's invited in, and so forth, none of that stuff works. Yeah. You know, he his reflections there. That's kind of neat. Um, I also I like I like the moment where the garlic doesn't work. That's I always yeah. love that garlic doesn't work, boy. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a classic. And then um, I like I do like the idea of the half vampire, of mm-hmm. the person who's not quite you know who's who started the process. You can but still be saved out of it. If, you could right yeah. exactly. That, that's kind of neat too. So I, I like some of the stuff they do with the rules in this one. Um, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, you it's guys want a couple? Me, oh, go on. It's made me really want to watch Blade and Blade Two again. <laughs> It's yes. been a long time since I've seen Blade, and I've never watched all of Blade 2. Oh, maybe I'll do Blade 2 as my keyframe. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? There Great movie. Go. I won't. Just kidding. Keyframe. Keyframe? Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Willie. Um, just a couple of quick little uh, facts I stole from IMDb that may or may not be true. <laughs> um, let's see. <laughs> that non-vetted journalism yes. you've come to How many yeah. users expect voted from the Midwest Film News. Exactly. Um, did you guys notice uh, the Frog Brothers named Edgar and Allen? Yes. Like Edgar Allan yeah. Poe? Okay. Um, David says Michael 118 <laughs> times. That's so good. Uh, which is insane. Did you, um, did, you, did you guys ever see that thing in uh, the Heavy Rain video game where they yelled Jason? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah you could do that with Michael in this yep, one. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Have um, you seen the Denzel Washington Guarantees It montage? Because I just recently watched that. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. you never seen this? No. Denzel Washington says, I guarantee it, in like almost every movie he's in. <laughs> That's awesome. At least once. It's so funny. Not that watch There's this. a really good uh, uh, Friday Night Lights super cut of uh, every moment Coach Taylor says, let me tell you something. Because really? that's... And and he, every time he said it in Bloodline a few times, and I just burst out laughing. Must just be one of those things he brings with it, him to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says it a lot in real life. The it's like Christopher Hanley. Walken's uh, dancing yes. clause in his yeah. contract. Um. Alex, you told me this one. Jim Carrey was up for the role of David. Yeah. Which is insane. That's a different movie. Uh, um, maybe that was when it was like the little kids or something. <laughs> I don't know. A um, couple little fun things. The merry-go-round scene where they're all, where they are initially introduced on the, on the merry-go-round, the vampires are. The order that they rotate around in is the order they die in the movie. That's cool. That's kind of fun. And cool. then um, also when Edgar mentions, you know, no two vamps go out the same way. By the way, vamp out, which is a big thing in Buffy, was invented in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of neat. Um, anyway, so he says, uh, you know, vampires never go out the same way. You know, some implode, some explode, some go quietly, some scream. They they all go out different ways in those ways. Yeah, yeah. It, so that's kind of fun too. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's all I got for facts. There's actually not a lot of, about this movie uh, out there in terms of like goofy on set stuff. Willie, I was thinking of this as as you were discussing your keyframe why why this was a keyframe for you. I really feel as though you and Tim need to embark on a journey to understand how Tim Capello got involved in this project. I could try. I could I could I could see if I get a hold of Tim <laughs> Capello. I'm just so curious how and why. Yeah. Was Joel see. Schumacher just like, let's really up the sex in this scene? And they got Tim Capel. Like he, he's like, I want that I want that saxophonist that Tina Turner's got going on. Might be it. <laughs> I'm really curious. In all honesty, it probably, it's probably something really boring. Like, uh, I don't know what studio put this movie out. I think it was Warner Brothers, right? Uh, maybe. Let me take a look. Well, let's just say Warner Brothers put it out just for the sake of this argument. 
It was probably like he had a record deal with Warner Brothers, and they were like, yeah, "We need Warner one of our Bro- artists." To yeah, be. that's fair. Yeah, we want to we want to get this Tim Capello going. Let's put him in the vampire flick. Right. Exactly. So that <laughs> that's the way this stuff happens a lot of the time. That's so, true. That's true. Um, hopefully, it was much cooler than that. Hopefully, he like like Joel Schumacher went to a bodybuilding competition. He's like, "Look at that man!" <laughs> and he like trained him how to play the sax or something. <laughs> like they went to Russia, like Rocky and Rocky Four, and they like <laughs> trained together. Tim Capello origins. Um. Before, does anybody else have anything they want to bring up in spoiler Terry? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. There's too much that I that I need to bring up spoiler wise. Um, Who was your favorite character? That's a good question. In the movie, Nick, if you think of yours first, shout it out. I really like Max. Yeah, Max is as a awesome. character. He is, Max cool. is interesting. Yeah, it's probably it's probably between Max and the Frog Brothers. Yeah, for me. Yeah, who who I noted kind of, and you guys agree with that they seem to be playing incarnations of Stallone yes. at different times. They, they have are. to be. They it's, have to be, and, and it's really like unspoken, and there's like nothing about it on IMDb. So I don't know, like it, but it's it's like one of them is the uh, Corey Feldman is is definitely Rambo at yes. the beginning, and then um, the Jameson other kid, Newlander. Jameson Newlander is has got to be rocky. It's got a little bit of rocky going yeah, on. Yeah. Like the, the and I said it's kind of the way he squares his jaw and some of the way that he delivers his lines in That's that funny. early scene just I'm like it's like they're trying to be Stallone. Yeah. But, for sure. No, I agree. I mean, Corey Feldman's voice is like unmis- he's totally going for a Stallone yeah. type thing. Yeah, it's really funny. I guess I guess it'd be interesting. I don't know if there's any commentary tracks out there, but to listen to like somebody talk about it if if that exists. If it got maybe, brought up, yeah. Maybe Schumacher was like I wanted to go for like a like a Stallone, Stallone, Steve, Steve the brother Stallone. <laughs> but Nick, you got a favorite character in the movie? Ah, I I just changed mine. Who? Nanook. <laughs> Nanook's awesome. Nanook's pretty Nanook good. good. Yeah. It's got some good physical moments. Yes, good dog acting. I I I liked Michael a lot just because he's 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 kind of stupid. Like, <laughs> he's kind of a big dummy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's he. He just is that. He's a teenager. He's, he's like, that classic '80s kind of. Yep. Exactly. He's kind of. He just wants the girl. He sees the pretty girl he likes in the new town he's in. He's kind of like Daniel Larusso a little bit in that regard, uh, and he just goes for it. And there's like a gang of like crazy looking dudes that ride <laughs> up on him, and he just doesn't back down. Yeah, he wants to throw down with them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's I, I like that. That kind of character doesn't really exist too much anymore. Yeah. Uh, and just a little bit of machismo that he's trying to exude is really funny. And I loved. I love the scene where he's on the phone with his mom in the morning when he feels all shitty and he's got sunglasses on, but you can see his eyes are closed behind it and he's, he's basically being Paul Rudd for one scene. It's so funny. I love that scene. And Corey Haim says something to him and he goes, eh, like that, at him like, shut up. It's so funny. I, I loved Corey Haim too. Corey Haim's really good in this movie. He's effortless yeah. in this movie. He's really he's good. He's really, really great. He was, the, he was the one I always related to as a kid. You know, I was always like, that's that would be me in this situation. Yeah. Like, I like... Yeah, I, I I had fun while we were watching it, trying to think like if they made this movie today, who they would cast, or as like a joke version of it. And I think as that, we usually do. I, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, we love talking about. It. We, we, for as much as we hate remakes, we're always like, man, they should remake this with these funny people in this role. But like, I kept thinking with uh, with Michael, I kept thinking of Chris Pine from Wet Hot American Summer, mm-hmm. also Paul Rudd from Wet Hot American nice. Summer, because they're kind of the same character. But uh, yeah, I liked Michael a lot. I liked uh, I liked I liked those two. I liked the two brothers. Yeah, Nanook was also very good. Yeah. I've become a big Grandpa fan. Grandpa's pretty good. Yeah, that's Grandpa gets some of the best lines that. in the entire movie. Yeah, uh, the Windex aftershave is one of my favorite moments. Yeah, he's so really proud good. of himself. I love his stories about the Widow Johnson. The Widow Johnson, <laughs> really funny. So there's a the, actually this is I like this. how you knew his horn by heart. 
His, like, oh, I know. I love how it becomes part of the score at the end, too, when he launches through the... Oh, yeah. Anybody got a favorite, like, sequence? Like, a favorite scene in the movie? Um... Well, we all love the sex. The sex scene it was immediately <laughs> funny because we just kept joking that they were just going to keep cutting to it throughout the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah with the clouds afterwards, like soaring yeah. through the clouds. Oh god, those cloud plates that have been in like every movie in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> Whoever shot those made a mint. Uh, I really loved. I really liked the siege on the house. That was very fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the getting ready montage is one of my favorites. Yeah, that's really cool. I liked. Man, there were a lot of little little moments that I liked. I like when they were taking the, when just a little like quick, we're borrowing the car, Grandpa. As they just drive away, like that <laughs> yeah. just made it's me. Okay, laugh. if we borrow the car, yeah, mm-hmm. that was funny. Yeah, and then cute. his rule about gas. That actually, that was so. That was a perfect moment because that was when when they return and he's ca- Michael's <laughs> carrying Jamie Gertz, an unconscious woman, and there's like a little kid and and yeah, and you just said Grandpa doesn't care, like just doesn't doesn't care what they're up to. They're covered in blood. And yeah, <laughs> and they're all sweaty and shit. Yeah, it's so funny. And then he's just like, now you do, now you know the rule. Like that was really funny. There's there's a lot of really good scenes yeah. in it. I really like. I mean, I really on obviously it's really funny, so we like it. But the concert scene, I actually really think is a really cool scene because. I mean, stuff like that still exists, but there's there's a there's a feeling in the air that everybody there is 100 percent in that moment because no one has a cell phone. Yeah, yeah. No one's worried about where they need to be. Like everyone in that scene is 100 percent into that concert, mm-hmm. and it, that's really fun because that'll never it's happen. The power again. of Tim Capello, man. Yeah, I guess it's <laughs> the power of not having technology everywhere. Yeah. Like, it, there's something wa- about watching that and remembering. Like, maybe I mean. We're like among the last people that will remember what that's like. It's true. Yeah. Like we're we're a dwindling number. Well, not yet, but we yeah, will be. Hopefully not. And <laughs> it's just something that was fun about seeing that or remembering mm-hmm. what that was like. Where like you had to be plugged in, otherwise just go home. Like what are you doing there? Well, I think it another an added layer to the concert scene too is uh, all of us as having been you know guys around his age or the age he's supposed to be. I think he's supposed to be like seventeen. 18 he looks like he's like 25 but um (laughs) but we've all been there and i think we've all been in a moment in our lives probably around that age where we like we were some out somewhere or you know at a concert or something and and you see some girl and you're like oh who's that you know and part of you wants to like bail and go find her you know so that's i think we can all relate to that one that's kind of cool and as i said last night i just to bring it all back to tim capello i love the idea that like, The Lost Boys isn't like a movie that everybody has seen, but our generation, like Andy Samberg has definitely seen this movie, because I'm yes. pretty sure he was instrumental in the creation of Sergio, sure. who was based off of Sexy Sa- the original Sexy Sax Man, Tim Capello. Yes. And so, the, like, to know that there are other people that have had the conversations <laughs> that we've had about Tim Capello... It's a comforting feeling. It's like a, I don't know, it's just, it's interesting to me. So it's like because it's an inside joke for us. Sure, we could talk about Tim Capello around many other people, and they'd be like, "Who the fuck is Tim Capello?" Right. But there are other people that'll be, "Oh my god, Tim Capello!" I think that's that's great. one of my favorite bands. Uh, uh yeah, the Proto Men. Men do a cover of um, "I Still Believe," of "I Still Believe," which is a, of, like I said originally by the Call, but they inserted the sax into their version of it. So I'm mm-hmm. like, they they get it. They know. They, they know. know. Yeah. They, some, they've, there are, they've others, seen the lost there are others out there who appreciate that man as much as we do. <laughs> the other part about that scene that I think is really funny is that it seems like an illegitimate concert because there's like trash barrels burning and shit. <laughs> yeah. It feels like something some people just like put on. Yeah. Like like uh like the way Funk Night used to be around here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Like in in uh 
you you probably came to one or two. Like we used to go on New Year's Eve. No, that was like an oh really? Yeah. Well, it doesn't really matter. But there there was there used to be this thing. I th- I think they still do it, but it's like organized now. And they uh, one one night a month at like an abandoned warehouse or somewhere in Detroit, they would host this. They put together this thing called Funk Night, and bands would just come and play until like the sun came up. And it was like an all night thing. It was not organized. It was in like people people like rented spaces in like the Russell Industrial Center or something like that. Yeah. But then it slowly became a little bit more organized. We used to go on New Year's Eve for a couple years in a row, and it was really fun. And it was still kind of loosely organized then, but now it's like it's like put together and marketed, and people yeah. pay to go and that kind of thing. But people used to just show up before, and it kind of had that vibe to it. But it just it made that's one of the parts one of the many things about that sequence that makes me laugh really hard. It was just like there's just big barrels of trash. It looks like Escape from New York. <laughs> But a concert and it's awesome. really good. Yeah. Tim Capello brought out a PA and started <laughs> just went to town. Yeah, exactly. Up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <we're> just, <laughs> there was no oil assistant in the credits and there probably should be. <laughs> no, he does that all himself. God, that sequence is so funny. <laughs> so funny. Um so there are sequels to The Lost Boys. Yeah. <clears throat> um there are two actual sequels. They were direct to video. Um the first one has Corey Feldman. And then Corey Haim is a cameo, as well as Jameson Newlander is a cameo. And then the second one has Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander. Um, they're not good. They're both really bad. Um, <laughs> I hate them. They're just, they're just not good. Um, Tim was excited to talk about these. What would Tim have to say? Does he like them? I don't know. I don't think he does. I mean, I don't think he does. I think he mostly just was joking about it, I think. I don't know. But maybe we can ask him at the beginning of next week's episode. Yeah. But I... They're not very good. I think he would just be bringing them up to goad Willie. Just to be a jerk. They're not They're not very good. And I knew they weren't going to be good when I watched them, but I, I gave them a shot anyway. Is um, The Lost Boys The Tribe one of these? Yes. That's the first sequel. Um, the only thing I'll say about the sequels is they wrote a comic book series um, that was supposed to link the original movie with the first sequel yeah. called uh, Reign of Frogs. Yep. And um, it was about the Frog Brothers' further adventures as vampire hunters that like road tripped across the country hunting vampires. It's kind of fun, actually. I've read it. That's awesome. Um, and it features uh, the Widow Johnson being a vampire and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So that's worth checking out. Um, but the sequel is not so much. Um, I guess if you could get them, if they're free on Netflix or, you know what I mean? If you can find them streaming for free and you want to kill an afternoon. Yeah, we've got the Lost, or Lost Boys, the Tribe, and then Lost Boys, the, the Thirst. Thirst. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and then... Uh, Vertigo is apparently doing a miniseries comic this year. Yeah, which I'm very interested in. Um, especially since it's Vertigo, I'm like, what? It's Michael, Sam, and the Frog Brothers protecting Star from her sisters, the Blood Bells. Well, that there was a bit of a that's weird. Um, yeah, there was a sequel that was proposed <laughs> that there was the a, Lost the, Girls. There's just yep. There's a script online somewhere for it. Uh, it was going to happen, and it would have featured um Sam and the Frog Brothers um dealing with a it's kind of a like a gender reversal so yeah. it was a, a couple new a pair of sisters that moved to santa carla and the older sister gets caught up you know very uh, similar okay. kind of a rehash but then they would bring sam and the frog brothers into the fray so you would tie it back into the and then um that's cool the twist ending was that um david was, David still, was alive. still alive yeah because you never actually you never actually see him like yeah like that it says here that the um that the comic book series explains that yep. the antlers missed David's heart. Yeah, it didn't actually pierce his heart, right? So, which I mean, I get, and even I like, are the antlers wood? No, it does it count? Yeah, yeah so yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to mention is there is um, an upcoming CW show from showrunner, a showrunner that what's Rob Thomas? Rob Thomas. <laughs> yep. 
Um, Rob Thomas is is uh, uh, Veronica Mars he, and Matchbox Twenty. No, uh, <laughs> Veronica Mars and I Zombie yep. and uh, a few other things. He pitched Party a party down. He pitched a. Um, they asked him. They apparently CW got the rights to a Lost Boys uh, show, and his pitch uh, sounds really cool. Um, cool. It takes place in California. All right. Each season is a ten-year span. Hmm. So it represents a decade. Yeah. And that the only characters that will carry over season to season are the are the Lost Boys. The human characters will die off as the show goes on and stuff, but the Lost Boys keep moving on throughout. So the first season set in '67 in the Summer of Love, interesting in, in California. Huh. Um, whether they tie it to the movie or not, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping they do. It'd be kind of cool to see like a young grandpa pop up or something. <laughs> I, I say, why not? You know, what can it hurt? Um, other other frogs. Around. Yeah, frog Prime. Yes. Something. If they don't overdo it, I mean, you can't, you know. Yeah, like, like bits and pieces here and but there. But uh, uh, like the grandpa character to be perfect. Yeah. Because like, he clearly knows about vampires. Yep. So it'd be kind of fun. So it's honestly, I'll, I'll check it out. The, the premise of the idea of a, um, a very core cast that continues throughout while everybody else dies around them like they would. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of fun. Plus, that means season three will be the 80s. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What if they, like, CG age regress key for any pops up? Yes, please. <laughs> be amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm interested to see, like, when that actually takes uh, uh, takes hold. It says here that the CW kind of is giving it a go because after the Vampire Di- Diaries, like, wraps up, which I think is recent. Mm-hmm. Uh they clearly need more vampire. This needs to be a very different show than that. I, th- I mean, I've never actually watched any Vampire Diaries, but my understanding of that, this should be very different. Yeah. I think if they need to. The thing about making uh, about the Lost Boys that I think could be forgotten very easily is the humor of yeah. it. You know what I mean? I don't. You know, if they get too focused on the teen romance and drama and stuff, it'll become just another vampire thing, yeah. which is fine for a certain audience. That's okay, but it's not the Lost Boys. Yeah. Lost Boys needs to have some humor and some goofiness and some charm to it. So It's interesting that these like 80s... We've talked about this a little bit, but like we've got Teen Wolf on MTV. Mm-hmm. Lost Boys maybe coming to the CW. It's kind of... The, the the movies to TV transition is still a little boggling to me. We, it used to be like a... We want to get from the silver screen to the big screen. Like, like I know now that it's... transition was was pretty palpable in the past, but now it's kind of like reverting somehow. I know. I think there's certain ones that'll work. I th- I think, and it's not just because I'm not just because I'm a fan. I think the Lost Boys could work because I think the 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 concept they have going makes sense. Yeah. Um, taking the basic idea of like these teenage vampires or whatever that that could work. But like Lethal Weapon, like doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, that, why? That's no. You know what I mean? There's certain movies where I'm like, okay, like I, you could make a show. Yeah, but yeah. Lethal right. Weapon's a very specific story, it is. and Lost Boys. There's a lot of room in that franchise. Yeah, there's a universe there that you could do sure. something with. Yeah. I did see a commercial for Lethal Weapon recently that I was kind of almost like, hmm. That initial but trailer was so. I've bad. seen the trailer and I'm like, oh god, this looks terrible. But and but I'm kind of in it because weigh-ins, because that's awesome. But then also there was I saw a scene that was, um, the Mel Gibson character and uh, and Murta and well and Murta's wife, and she says, "I need you to get him home to me at the end of the night." And like a, it was a very like it was the drama part of the show, mm. and I was kind of like, oh. <laughs> Will but, it be better than Rush Hour? Uh, the series, pro- probably. I don't know. 
anyway. Will be better than Uncle Buck the series. Uh, uh, almost certainly. Seeing as how it got canceled like two, two episodes, episodes in. in. What was the one that's coming to Amazon that we were talking about yesterday? Um, it's uh, Tremors. Yeah, the Tremors Kevin Bacon show. See, that's how you do it, though. You got Kevin <laughs> Bacon back. No, seriously. Yeah, no. That's, that's, totally. See, that, I think we've discovered the way to do this kind of thing is is the legacy sequel, which is a yeah. stupid word, and I hate saying it, but it's the only no, thing that works. Yeah. You, you have to, if you're going to make a reboot, you don't just reboot it. You set it in the same universe and have small connections to what came before. Yep. That way that still matters, but it doesn't matter enough to where you're ruining that old thing. Yep. That's that's my thought process. Yeah. But All right. Well, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Write to us. Let us know what you think of the show, the things that we talk about. We're also at MFN Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. MidwestFilmNerds.com has all previous 150, 194, 195 plus bonus episodes with full show notes. So you can skip over the spoiler and other things that you want to hear. There's also a support store on there. If you want to support us, please buy some Midwest Film Nerds and Game Nerds hoodies, shirts, beer koozies, or donate to the network. Um, next week, it's Tim's pick. And Tim has picked Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. What? It is official. Yes. So It is decided. So if you pick Blade 2, we'll officially be combining the two. <laughs> Previous. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, so look back for that next week. And then, um, yeah. The uh, episode release schedule this, this these next couple of weeks might be a little bit fuzzy because uh, we have some travel and busyness going on. Uh, so please bear with us for that. But, oh, I forgot to talk about it at the top of the show. Uh, if you are listening right now, you are one of our big fans, and we want to talk to you for episode 200. I'm going to try and schedule a day where we can all sit down in front of a computer and talk with you on Skype and we can record it and put it together into episode 200. So if you're interested, please let me know. I've already heard from Youp. Youp is down. Um, but there are other people. It's probably going to be a Saturday in the Eastern time zone. Um, and we'll probably have like a two hour window where we can sit down and talk to you for 10 minutes. Um, so I'll probably email everybody that has emailed us before and ask them if they would like to come and talk to us for a little bit and we'll put a schedule on there and, uh, and hopefully figure out when we can do this because we want you guys to be a part of episode 200. Yes. So, uh, that's it. And we're not going away completely. Yes. We're not. That's not, that's not what's happening. No. So I just know I'd be scared if I was a listener, like a regular listener. Yeah, no, that's not the plan. The plan is not to be done with this. It is to we still heart you regroup and and uh, you know do bigger and better things. So that's about it. Kyle X Y, go watch a movie.